right, so it is Easter Sunday. Yes. And uh, we are going to be finishing our series this morning uh, called Shadows of Sacrifice. And I'm going to preach the gospel this morning, if that's all right with you guys. Yeah? I think Sunday, especially Easter Sunday, man, how important is it to preach the good news? To preach the good news of Christ this morning? Because I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think for some of us, and not necessarily us right here in this room, but I think for some segments of the church, I'm not trying to be judgmental, I think the good news has become old news. I really do. I look around and scan the church communities, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just kind of just sort of seeing and, and, and seeing what's being spoken out there. And I'm thinking to myself, where's the good news? Where's the good news in this? Has the good news become old news? Well, today, we're going to talk about the good news. We're going to talk about the good news of Christ and his sacrifice, of Christ and his resurrection this morning. Now, if you guys know, uh, throughout the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Old Testament, and we've been looking at how Leviticus has foreshadowed, right, the sacrifice of Christ. We've been looking at ways in which God was heralding the sacrifice of Christ through the Old Testament, through the book of Leviticus. That, that the, the sacrifice of Christ just didn't begin to be heralded at the start of Matthew. That the, that the offering, the sacrifice of Christ actually began at the beginning. It began at the beginning. So we've been looking at Leviticus, and we're not going to turn there this morning, uh, but before I get into it, I want to just share with you a couple scriptures uh, that really encapsulate what this day is all about. Turn to Romans chapter 5 with me, verse 6 through 8, if you have your Bibles with you. Or if you have your phone, or if you have your tablet. Something about reading those words on a page, though. Just saying. Go with me to Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8. Paul says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, at the appointed time, at the time that God had planned in advance, God knew what was going to happen. How do we know that? All you have to do is read the Old Testament. At the right time, at the appointed time, at the time God had decided, mm. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Some or one will scarcely die for a righteous person. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm probably not gonna give up my life even for a righteous person if I don't know them. Just saying, being honest. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Probably not dying for a good person. 
that I don't know. But God shows his love for us. How does God show his love for us? That while we were still not righteous, not good, not even close, dies for us. Sinners. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by the blood. Not because we were good, not because we were righteous, not because we earned it, not because we could do anything for it. What does Christ do? Lays his life down for you, for me. And we are justified by his blood. says the same thing in 1 John 4, 9. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. I'll paraphrase. <laughs> How is it that Christ or God has shown his love for us? How does God prove his love for us? There is one way God proves his love for us, by sending his son to die. That is love. We don't get to determine what love is. We don't get to, to, to determine the boundaries of love. We don't get to decide how love is described in this world, God does. And God says, this is love. This is love. You may think you know what love is, but I know what love is. And I displayed my love. I demonstrated my love. I gave of myself for you. That is love. Don't take it. Don't redefine it. I tell you what it is, and it's Christ crucified for me, for you. So this morning, let's take a look at a couple, uh, let's take a look at a couple reasons why Christ had to be risen. Over the last several weeks, we have been looking at Leviticus and how God has heralded uh, the coming of Christ through the offerings we, we, we've looked at how, you know, how God has unveiled the mystery of God, which is Jesus. We know that the mystery of God, if you've been in uh, our life group, in our Zoom group, for some of you that have been in that group, we have talked about the mystery of God, and the mystery of God is Christ. That, that God is unveiling the mystery in the Old Testament. He's revealing Christ as the mystery of salvation in the Old Testament. And we've looked at how Christ in the Old Testament was our different offering. That Christ in the Old Testament was foreshadowed through many offerings that were given in the book of Leviticus. So we see a burnt offering we see a peace offering. We see a purification offering. And we see a grain offering in the Old Testament. But those are all for one purpose. It is to point to Christ. And now we're going to celebrate Christ not as just our peace offering or our grain offering or our purification offering or our burnt offering. What are we going to celebrate Christ this morning as? Our risen offering. Because this is what distinguishes Christ from every other sacrifice. He rises. 
Here's the unbelievable news, that Christ is the new wine bursting out of the old wineskin of Leviticus. He is the new wine that Leviticus can't contain. He is the new wine that the grave can't contain. He is the new wine that death cannot hold down. Leviticus was the old wineskin that the old offerings used to live in. But now Christ has come. Christ has come, and he's the new wine. And Leviticus, the old wineskin, cannot contain him. And that is what we celebrate this morning. John 10, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me. How does the Father love me? That I lay down my life so that I take it up again. I lay it down on my own accord. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down so that I can take it up again. But why? Why the resurrection? Why does Christ have to rise? Why is it not good enough for him to just stay in the grave? He had already died. Every other offering was a death for the atonement of sin. Every other sacrifice that we've studied over the last two weeks died, yet was not risen. Why? Why does Christ have to rise? Why can't we just celebrate Good Friday? But why do we meet here on Sunday? And why is this the most consequential and most impactful day in human history? That's what this is, you guys. This day is the most impactful and consequential day in human history. It's when we celebrate Christ rising into new life. It's when we celebrate the goodness and the hope of God in his faithfulness. It is God declaring to the world, there is a way to me. This is the most consequential day for everyone that you know that's not in him. This is the most consequential day, the most impactful day that the world has ever experienced. It is today. It is the hope. It is the rebirth. It is the newness. It is the redemption. It is the justification that Christ wins. And he is victorious. So why the resurrection? Christ rises to secure our redemption. Christ rises to secure our redemption. Stick with me here. Christ's resurrection is proof that the payment he made by his sacrifice was sufficient. Without his resurrection, there's no power over sin. There's no defeat of death. 
So if Christ doesn't rise, he doesn't defeat death. And if he doesn't defeat death, that means that his payment is insufficient. So in Christ's resurrection, we see the proof that God accepts the payment of the sacrifice. That God accepts the payment, and by accepting the payment of Christ on the cross, because he accepts that payment that pays the penalty for our sin, guess what happens? Death is defeated. Death is defeated, sin is put in the grave, and it stays there. So doesn't death. It stays in the grave. Jesus rises to new life. So how is it that the resurrection secures our redemption? It is because we know that God says, I accept my son's sacrifice. I accept it as a just payment for the penalty of sin. That's the good news of the gospel. That we are no longer dead, but we're alive. We're alive. He secures our redemption. God vindicates his holy justice through Christ. God vindicates his holy justice through Christ and displays his wondrous love for his people at the cross and at the resurrection. God says that my justice has been satisfied. My justice has been satisfied by my son, that I sent him to satisfy my holy justice. But at the same time, I've demonstrated my unending and unwavering love for my people, all in one event, all in the sacrifice, all in the resurrection. He says, come to me because you are free now. Come to me because I have done all of the work for you. Come to me because I have paid the price on your behalf. You are no longer in the grave as I am no longer in the grave. Are you serious? That's the good news. How does that ever get old? I have no idea. I just don't get it. I'm, I just don't get it. Talk, turn to me, uh, turn with me to Titus chapter 2 going to be in Titus, Romans, and Galatians. So put your fingers in all those if you can. Bookmark it. Titus 2.14. Check this out. <laughs> for the grace of God has appeared. Oh, that's Christ. Oh, for the grace of God has appeared. It's been made visible. We see it bringing salvation for all people. What does the grace of God do? Brings salvation. What does the grace of God do? Trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Next verse. What does the grace of God do? Allows us to live with self-controlled lives, upright and godly in the present age. In the age of no self-control, in the age of living however we please. God says, I have given you my grace so that you can live self-controlled and godly lives. 
And what does it do? It allows us to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus. And here's the kicker, who gave himself up for us to be redeemed. Gave himself for us to be redeemed from our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. What does the resurrection do? It redeems his people. It redeems his people by declaring that what Jesus Christ did was enough. It was enough to declare us righteous. Without the resurrection, we are left dead. Paul says this, let me share this with you real quick. Paul says this, if indeed Christ has not been raised and there is no resurrection, our faith is futile. If indeed Christ has not been raised and is still in the grave, our faith is futile, that we have nothing to bank on. We have no hope. But because he is not there, we know that the Lord said, God said, it is enough. He is enough for you. He has paid the penalty. He has reconciled you to himself. Check this out. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 verse 5. For we have been united with him to a death like this. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free. Set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. He is the firstborn of the dead. He dies and raise, is raised from the dead, never to die again. The first one, the first of many, and we will follow. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Why does death no longer have dominion over him? Because he conquers the power of death. He conquers the power of sin. And we know that sin's wages is death. So we know that if Christ has no dominion, or if death has no dominion over Christ, it is because he has conquered it. We know that in his resurrection, he displayed his dominion over sin. He displays his dominion over sin because he's no longer subject to death. That is how we know we have been redeemed. 
That is how we know that the payment and the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient on our behalf. Because death has no dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So now we get to live a life to God in him. So Christ dies a death to sin. He takes it on himself and dies to it, dies for it, dies to release us from the bondage of it, dies to totally conquer the power of it. And because of our faith in him, because we've received uh, faith by his grace, because of that, now we get to live a life dead. Jesus Christ says to you and me right now, come to me and die. (laughs) That's why the gate is narrow. (laughs) Jesus says, come to me and die to have life. The gate is narrow. Not everyone wants to make that exchange. But it is an exchange that brings life. That Jesus goes to the grave and dies and is raised so that we can live a life dead to the penalty of sin and alive to God. That's the gospel. How is that old news? What else? Because because his sacrifice was enough, because his sacrifice was sufficient, we have been redeemed. A penalty was paid that God accepted as sufficient, and now we get to experience justification. We are now justified by the blood of Christ. We are now justified in his resurrection because the payment was enough. If we are not redeemed, we cannot be justified. So redemption leads to justification. Christ's sacrifice, because it is sufficient to redeem us, now renders us justified. The resurrection now makes Christ's righteousness available to us simply by believing and accepting by faith his atoning sacrifice on our behalf. (laughs) This is the most amazing thing. We now have Christ's righteousness credited to us. We now have Christ's righteousness credited to us. Why? Because our sin is credited to him. So we now stand before God totally justified because his payment was enough. That's the gospel. We are credited Christ's righteousness before the Lord when we believe by faith through his grace that he, in fact, died and was raised. (laughs) 
we are completely free. We are completely free. We walk free. No longer under the condemnation of sin. No longer under the power of sin. No longer suffering the penalty of sin. Let me, let me just explain that to you in some, some real world terms here. So has anyone ever been to court? I've been to court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. Not something you're going to volunteer to offer for information to people. So I had to go to court uh, about a a year ago. I had to go to court about a year ago. Yeah, it wasn't fun. I was kind of like, I was kind of really overwhelmed by it. I was like, when you walk into the courthouse, you're just kind of like, yeah. Like, why, oh, you know, you get, get this feeling, like, you know, of like, oh, I've done something wrong, and, you know, which I did. I did, I did something wrong. So that's why I had to go. So long story short, so um, about a year and a half ago, I, um, I'm driving in Portland, and I get pulled over by, by a Portland cop, and he comes up to me, and he's like, hey, how you doing? I said, good. So I'm always the guy, oh, I'm, I'm just slick. So before he even gets to the window, before he even gets to the window, right, I've got the, I've got the license, I've got the proof of insurance, i got the registration. I'm like, good, you know? Like, I honestly think that that has saved my rear end so many times because I'm like, hey, officer, here you go, you know? Like, no kind of back and forth, no, hey, you know, what'd you pull me over for? Like, oh, no, here you go. I'm like, total obedience to authority, totally. And let me just say, I've been pulled over a lot, like in my earlier days for speeding. And like, honestly, like at least three quarters of the time, I got let off. I got let off because, because I was just so, I think it was because I was just so like, here you go, here you go. I was very, very polite about it, right? People give cops attitudes. They're going to get tickets. It's just the way it is. So don't do that. Anyway, so I get pulled over and uh, he comes up to me and he says, uh, sir, you know, I uh, gave him all my stuff. He's like, oh, sir, you know why I pulled you over? I said, ah, I really don't know. I was on, on Stevens Ave. I'm like, you can't speed on Stevens Ave. There's like a speed bump every five feet, right? It's like, I'm not barreling down Stevens Ave. So uh, he says, uh, your, your inspection sticker's out. I said, what? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, really? So I look at it. Sure enough, it was out like six months I was like, oh, I was actually going to visit my mom, uh, who was in the hospital. She had had, the, had a fall, as you guys know. She had had a fall, and she was at New England Recovery Center on Brighton. So I'm like, take a Stephen's Ave, take a left on Brighton, pull into New England Recovery Center, pulls me over right in the parking lot. So everyone's watching me. <clears throat> so I was like, ah, oh. I'm like, I'm sorry, officer. I'm like, I honestly had no idea. I had no idea. So he goes, I'm gonna have to give you a ticket. I said, ugh, do you really? Like, you have to give me a ticket? I'm like, honestly, I have no idea. He's like, no, nah, I'm sorry, I've got to give you a ticket. He's like, you can contest it, though. I was like, ooh, hmm. Let me think about that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to contest it. So I, I show up at court, and, and it was like in January, and this is well within my legal right, so I'm not like doing anything out of bounds, I don't think God is sitting there going, just take the fine, Chad. 
Because, I mean, there are legal things. You know, Paul used his, uh, his, his legalities to, you know, to, to deal with government as a Roman citizen. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm just walking in the spirit of Paul here. <laughs> so I get to the courthouse, and, and I get into the room, and it's, like, filled with, like, 200 people. So many people there. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So basically what happens is if you contest it, most likely, if the cop shows up, you get off. <laughs> if he doesn't show up, you get off, right? If he shows up, then obviously you negotiate and you get a less, lesser fine, right? Um, so I get up there and they call my name. I'm like, oh gosh, oh gosh. I'm like, call me. I'm like, oh, no one in here knows me. <laughs> so I meet the cop and we, we settle on the fine and it, he cut it in half, nothing on your record. I'm like, yes, Lord, yes. But let me, just, let me just paint this picture here for a minute. Let's just say this, this, ended, up, this ended differently. Let's just say that uh, while I was uh, called and my name was called and I stood up and the judge said, okay, Chad, you know, you were, you were stopped for this. This is your fine. This is your penalty. You know, you got to pay this. You know, we got to agree that you pay this in order for you to go free. I mean, I was going to go free, but you know what I mean? Work with me. Let's just imagine that someone barges through the door, walks up to the judge's table, walks up to the judge's bench, bench slaps 200 bucks on the bench and says, you know what? I'm going to pay for that guy's penalty. I'm going to pay for that guy's fine. And the judge says, okay, you have a deal. I'll accept your payment. He goes free. That's Christ. That's the blood. He pays the penalty. And we walk. We walk in freedom. He takes it. And we walk. We now are completely vindicated by the resurrection of Christ. See this. We now are completely vindicated by the resurrection of Christ and stand before God as Christ because Christ stood before God as us. We have the righteousness of Christ credited to us. So now we can stand before God accepted, loved, that he loved us so much. That he stood in our place. He stood in our place so that we could stand before God in his. That's amazing news. That's amazing news. We are justified in the resurrection. Paul even says it, Romans chapter 4. Let's go there for a moment. Romans 4, verse 20 to 25. Listen to this. Paul's talking about uh, Abraham's faith. And he makes a connection to us. He says this, No unbelief made him waver, talking about Abraham, concerning the promise of God. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless many nations through your seed. And Abraham's sitting there at 100 years old going, uh, Okay. How's this going to happen? My wife is barren. 
Not able to have children? I'm not a real spring chicken here, God. But your promise to me is that you're going to bless many nations through me? That my nations are going to be more numerous than the stars in the heavens? That those are my people? That was God's promise to Abraham. And this is what Paul says about his promise. He says, you know, Abraham never wavered concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. How do we grow in our faith? We give glory to God. And what was Abraham? Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as what? Righteousness. How did Abraham, how was Abraham justified before God? How was Abraham viewed as righteous before God? By faith. Faith alone. Faith in the promise of God that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. This is a foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. We've been talking about foreshadowing and fulfillment. Right? This story of Abraham is a foreshadowing of Christ because it's not until Christ comes where we see the fulfillment, we see it displayed in its fullness, that in our faith in Christ, when we receive his faith by grace alone, what happens? Christ's righteousness is credited to us and we are justified before God by our faith in him. That we don't work at it. There's nothing we can do. That we literally come to him empty-handed but alive. Why? Because we have nothing to offer. Nothing. He does it all. It's all him. It's all his work. Why? So we can't boast. So we come to God and we're made righteous with God through faith by his grace. And that we are made righteous not because of anything we've done, but by simply believing and having hope, and putting our faith in his work, not our own. Paul goes on to say this, it was counted to him as righteous, um, but for, uh, it was not written for his sake alone. So what we see in Abraham's account in his story was not necessarily just documented for him. It was for us as well. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. And here it is. Who was delivered up for our trespasses, put on the cross for our sin, and what? Raised because of our justification. Raised for our justification. That he pleased God so much to justify us that he raised Christ. That God, in his perfect nature, he stayed true to his attributes. How, who is God? He is just. He is just, and he is merciful. And so God took great pleasure in himself when he raised Christ from the dead. Why? Because of our justification. God knew if I raise him, they are justified, and that pleases me because now they can stand before me and love me and honor me and worship me and, and give praise and honor and glory to me and make my name famous in the land. Oh, well, tell me this is old news. Can we just... Mm. Sorry. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, he who knew no sin became sin. So that what? We could become the righteousness of God. We are justified, made righteous, in right standing with God through the resurrection of Christ because his payment was sufficient because he loves us because he desires a people to be drawn near to himself and worship so that we can make his name famous in the earth that's the goal that's the goal lastly all of this is unto something all of this is unto something we are redeemed and justified for something. What is this unto? It's unto a newness of life. A newness of life. His resurrection brings to its fullness our redemption in God and justification before God, and now we can live a life of freedom in God. That we can live a life of newness in God, that we are free to live in the newness of life in God. His resurrection makes possible our regeneration. We are regenerated because he was resurrected. We have new life because he's resurrected. We are born again because he's resurrected. We are made alive because he's resurrected. What are we born to? We are born into the Spirit. We are born into the Spirit, which gives life. We were born into flesh in our bodies originally and still under the curse of that because we will die in our bodies. That's still a reality. But here is the most amazing thing, that in these old bodies that are decaying, there is a newness of life in the spirits. We have been born into the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God has now come and lives in us because of the resurrection of Christ. We have new life in Him because we were born into His Spirit. And we have it living in us. And it brings us hope. The newness of life is a hope-filled life made possible by Christ's resurrection, which secures our redemption and renders us justified. We have come alive. <laughs> we were once dead, but he has caused us to come alive. The newness of his resurrected life celebrated on Easter causes in us the hope to begin a new life with him, free from the penalty and power of sin and alive in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to share one last scripture with you, and then I'm going to have the team come back up, and we're going to go into one more song this morning and celebrate the goodness of God, celebrate the newness of his life 
in us this morning. So if you want to turn to me to 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4. <laughs> so good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Catch this. According to his great mercy, in accord, in agreement, because of his mercy, what has he done? He has caused something. What we have to understand about God is that he causes all of it in us. Even our regeneration is caused by God. How do we even have the opportunity to choose God? How? Because he's made himself available. So even in our choice, we don't necessarily cause that. God causes the ability for us to choose him because he makes himself available. Why? So you can't boast. <laughs> You can't boast about any of this. <laughs> don't even think about taking any credit for any of it. Where you are in life, don't, don't even think about taking credit for it. Don't even think about uh, relying on your own work. Don't add any work to the work he did. It is all about him. He causes everything in us, including our regeneration, because he offers himself so that we can choose. Listen to this. <laughs> he has caused us to be born again. To what? A living hope. Not a dead hope. Not a, not a temporary hope. A living hope. One that brings life. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have new hope. We have new life. In him. And the resurrection has accomplished the great exchange. He was condemned for our acceptance, made to be sin for our righteousness, and suffered death so that we can be alive. That is the great exchange this morning. And this all is because of the good news. Of the gospel. The Bible says that this is folly to those who are perishing, but to us it is the power of God unto salvation. That's the gospel. So let's stand this morning. We're going to sing one more song and celebrate his goodness. This good news should motivate us to desire holiness. This good news should motivate us a desire and a conviction to be consecrated. This good news should motivate us to seek a life set apart unto him. because he has made us alive. He has made us alive, and so now we get to live a life holy unto him, set apart unto him, consecrated unto him. Isaiah in chapter 35, verse 8 says, the highway of holiness is traveled 
by the redeemed. The highway of holiness is traveled by the ransomed. That's me, that's you this morning. You have been redeemed. You have been ransomed. You have been justified. And guess what? The highway of holiness is yours to travel into the very presence of God. That God says to you and me, because of what I've done, because I've made you alive, desire holiness. I will give you all of the ability and strength to live a holy life before me. So walk that highway of holiness with him because he's made you alive. That is the power of the good news. That is the power of the gospel. And that's what we're talking about.